the rest of us, we're going to be continuing The Great Escape, which is our walk through the book of Exodus. Last week we were in verses, uh, chapter number 16. Um, we were in verses 1 through 18. This week we're going to continue with 19 to 36 and finish up Exodus 16. In our, first, in our message last week, after leaving the paradise of Elam, the people of God found themselves running out of food in the wilderness of sin. Instead of trusting God to make provision for them, they began murmuring against Him and even went as far as wishing they were back in Egypt where the food was plentiful. And looking at this, we recognize that we do the same thing at times as we allow our physical and spiritual weakness to put us in danger of allowing distance to form between us and God. In spite of humanity's failings, we saw how God still miraculously provided for the Israelites and continues to provide for us as well in our message, which was titled Manna from Heaven. This week, the lessons will continue as we'll see the Lord begin His teaching of His children on how to become obedient and serving Him in our message, which is titled Honoring the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today, and uh, Lord, you know I've prayed over this message, God, and you have spoken to me, and I'm asking you, Lord, now that you will speak uh, through me, uh, God, my desire is to disappear, that my will not be expressed in any way, shape, or form. Lord, this is simply the word and what you would have lead me uh, to say and to speak. And Lord, I just want to tell you that I love you, that I'm thankful for this opportunity, and pray, God, that you just help me uh, not to mess it up. Help me to disappear in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to pick up. Now, what's going to happen is we've just received the first bit of manna has been received. They've kind of gotten that first experience. And now in verse number 19, we're going to start off. And Moses said, let no man leave of it till the morning. Okay, so he says there are to be no leftovers. Okay, and we're going to go into a little bit of extensive. This message is a little bit longer than normal. I'm going to do my very best to be concise and straightforward with it. But everything is in here. God told me to keep it. I, as I wrote it, sometimes I pull things out. This week, this is what we're going to do. So each morning, the blessings were intended to be new. Lamentations 3, 22 through 24 says this. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. So it's God's mercy that we're not consumed. They are, they are and look at this. This is verse 23. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Look at the way the word used there. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. So when we wake every morning, God's mercy is revealed in the fact that we're given another sunrise. We're given another day of life, right? That's a blessing right there, and it's new every single day. God's intention is the fact that he gives us these precious hours, not for our use, right? We think, well, I'm given another day. I'm going to make the most of it for me. It's supposed to be for him, because guess what? Our life is not our own. First Corinthians 6.20 says this, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. See this? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Right? The hours are not ours. They're not our own. They're not intended for us to waste upon our desires and what it is that we're looking for. Look at this in Colossians 3, 17, through 20, 17 and 23. It says, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Verse 23, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. When it says not unto men, it's talking about us individually, not unto myself and not unto the purpose of glorifying man or for the purpose of them. I'm doing all that I do for God's glory. If we go all, if we, I'm telling you, if we give our all, man, we give everything we've got, we go for broke for the Lord, I can guarantee you there will be people, good-minded people, people that are really trying to encourage you that are going to say, hey, 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 you know what? Pace yourself. You pace yourself. You're on fire for Jesus. And I'm like, you got to slow yourself down now, bro. Don't, don't, do, don't get too crazy. Pace yourself. Don't want to burn yourself out. Has anybody ever heard those kind of things? Man, we got saved. My wife and I were like, dude, I'm in both feet, my head, my arms. I'm just like, I'm in. And everybody's like, whoa, 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 back off there, wild man. 
slow down. You don't want to burn yourself out, right? But think about this. Now, if I'm going to do it in my own strength, they're right. We will burn out. Because guess what? You can only do it in your own for a certain period of time. But if we do it in the Lord's strength, right, God strengthens us. Look at this, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Not in my strength, but in his strength. Think about the Apostle Paul, right? Do you think the Apostle Paul stands in heaven today filled with regret and remorse going, you know what, I just wish I'd have had a little bit more me time when I was back on the planet Earth. Well, I just wish to focus a little bit more on me. No. He was giving his all every day, focused on the fact that he always felt like a debtor to God. A debtor. But many of us think we're deserving as opposed to debtors. It's our nature. It's the country we live in. It's hard to live here and not feel as if we're entitled to so much. Go spend some time in a country where people don't have any sense of entitlement. And it changes your perspective dramatically. Dramatically. This is the same Paul that last week we looked at struggling with his flesh. Remember in Romans 9? Those things that I should do, I should not. Those things that I should do, I find myself not doing. And those things that I should not do, I find myself doing, struggling with his flesh. But yet, even through that unfaithfulness, look at what God does. He used his life in a tremendous way, even though he struggled like we struggled. These examples are in the Bible to give us hope. Because if they were all just perfect, you see, if you were going to create a book of God, and you were going to create it in man's wisdom, it would be all about just amazing successes. But when you study this Bible, you'll find nothing but failure, 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 failure. Human beings, man, I'm telling you what, we blow it all the time in the Bible. Go back to your heroes. Go back to Abraham. Go back to Moses. Go back to these men, and guess what you'll see them? Drop the ball and drop the ball and drop the ball. And those examples are to show us, guess what? You're all human. It's just all that's separating us and them is a calendar. Right? And what they're doing is struggling with the exact same thing that we're struggling with. Romans 9, verses 1 through 3 says this. I say the truth in Christ. Look at this. This is the heart of Paul. Okay? He says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. Look at how much he says this. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost. He says, look, I'm being completely honest that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Verse 3. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What he's saying there is he said, you know what? I would be willing to give up my salvation if it meant the salvation of my brothers. I'd be willing to suffer in hell that they could be saved. That's the heart. And we read all of those things to realize that the commitment, what God's looking from us, what he wants from our hearts. He wants us to be committed to him. He wants that commitment through all of us and how we live our lives. Check this out. Remember back in, when they were in Elam, when they were sitting and when they were there in their paradise, God told them this. Exodus 15, 26. And he says, and he says, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and wilt do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. That's talking about healing us spiritually, physically, emotionally, in every which way. He says, look, I am the solution to every problem that you've got. And if you'll live for me, guess what? I'll handle all those issues that you're struggling with, those flesh things and all that stuff that you're dealing with every single day and those things you're fighting with and the tribulation that you're facing. Guess what? I will help you through them all. I am that healer. You see, the Lord wants to provide for his children. That's his nature. God's desire is to be there for us. Right? And the thing is, if we'll do that, if we'll let God work in our lives, not only his desire for us is to go, you know what? I want to use your life for my glory, and I want you to shine my light and my love into this world. 
For your life was not for you, and your identity shouldn't be in you. Your identity should be in, in me, right? And if our identity is in Christ, guess what? We make a difference in the world. Philippians 2, 13 through 15 says this, For it is God, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, right? Eesh, that's a hard one. That ye may be blameless, <laughs> that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, right? God created a race of being called the sons of God. The purpose of them to, to exist was to bring glory to his name. It says, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, which is what we live in now, a crooked and perverse nation, among whom, among those crooked and those perverse, you are to, ye shine as lights in the world. We are not the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But whenever he left in the book of Acts and we see him ascend, guess what? A spiritual darkness fell upon the country, fell upon the world. And there is darkness upon our world now. But we are to shine not as we are not the light, but we shine as lights, as lights, a reflection of his love. If we'll fully commit to him, guess what? He will fully commit to us and he'll use, us, use our lives for his glory. Verse 20, notwithstanding they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wroth with them. Okay, he gave crystal clear instructions, and yet there's always some folks that just don't listen, right? You ever have a group of kids together, and you go, has everybody got it? Uh-huh. You know, okay, okay, so you're going to do this, right? Uh-huh. Everybody's got it. Raise your hand if you understand. Yep, everybody's got it. You walk away, and you're like, you come back, and you're like, what in the world it's our nature. Just We think we're listening, but we're not, right? And so this disobedience, this lack of faith, what they're thinking is they're going, you know what? God said he's going to provide for us every day, but we don't fully trust him. So why don't we set some aside and we'll keep it till tomorrow? You know how I know that to be true? Because back in Exodus 16, 18, this is what God told us. And when they did meet it, with an omer, he that gathered had much, had nothing, had much, had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. So God says in that verse back there, I gave them exactly what they need. So there were no leftovers. They chose to have those leftovers. Okay? And it's interesting. As you look at the side note, think about this. The fact that the manna that was left over, that he sold them not to bring over, what it ended up, it ended up rotting and it ended up filled with worms. If you find worms in the Bible, you know what it always points to? Destruction and death. What he's showing them, this is a picture of what disobedience leads to. He gave them clear instructions, and those that did not follow the instructions, worms and rot. Verse 21. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. So the Lord's teaching them a sense of urgency here. Look, you know what? It's going to show up. When it shows up, you need to be ready to receive it. Remember, the manna is a picture, the manna is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a physical manifestation of salvation. Okay? So when we think about that, every single human being who is alive has a limited window to receive that salvation. And it's called their lifetime. Right? We don't, we're not promised tomorrow. We don't know how long we're going to be on this planet. But guess what? Our planet also has a limited window as well. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 7 says this, But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. I want you to remember that word there, day, for the future. 
Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away, and a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Sounds familiar. Very similar to what we just talked about in that verse. Verse 12, Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall be melted away, shall melt away with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. God says, look, you know what? The Lord's going to return, and he returns. You need to be ready. Because there is coming a day when the time for this planet is going to run out. Everybody thinks they've got tomorrow, got tomorrow, got tomorrow. There is nothing prophetically that has, that has not already taken place that God could not return right now. It could happen right now. And we live as if we have all the time in the world, but we don't. And this picture of urgency is something God's trying to relay to us as Christians that we're supposed to be diligently doing the work of God. He says that, and let's just look at this, and he says, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, that you be found doing the work of the Lord, not focused upon selfishness, which is so naturally our tendency. Verse 22, and it came to pass that on the sixth day they pictured twice as much, they, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man, and all the rulers of their congregation came and told Moses. So here we are five days in, right? And guess what we're starting to see now? A little bit of obedience, right? They're starting to listen. On the sixth day before the Sabbath, they have obediently gathered twice as much, and now they come back to Moses and they're like, okay, all right, okay, we've all done it. We've got twice as much. Now what do we do? He says, verse 23, And he said unto them, This is that which the Lord hath said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which ye, would, which, which ye will bake today, and seeth that ye will see, and seeth that ye will seeth, and that which remaineth overlay up for you uh, to be kept until the morning. He says, so this one day, you're going to lay it up till the next day. You have twice as much because you've got enough for Sunday, okay? So they've been faithful, right, up to this point. They followed the instructions. Let's see how they do. Verse 24, and they laid it up till the morning as Moses bade and, did not, and it did not stink. Neither was there any worm therein. Huh, would you look at that? It worked just exactly as God said it was going to work. It did that very same thing, right? It is exactly. The key is that God, when he makes promises, he always keeps his promises, man. Amen. Romans 3, 4 says, let God be true and let every man a liar, right? God is perfect. You can put your faith in him. He will not let you down. We can put our faith in people, and we all do. And you know what? But as human beings, we will fail. Right? You can put your faith in me, and I'm going to do my very best not to let you down. But there will come a day when you're going to, you know, Pastor, you just, you just let me down. And I'm going to say, you're right, because I stink. I'm just, I am a person just like you. And I'm fighting the same battles that you're fighting. We're all in the same fight, man. Nobody's above anybody else. The devil hates me just as much as he hates you, and he wants to destroy me just like he wants to destroy you. The weapons we've got to use is the word of God. We've got to depend upon him and walk with him. So we understand that this same battle that we're fighting, we're all fighting the exact same thing. And look at this. Um, and, uh, and Moses, in verse number 25, it says, And Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today you shall not find it in the field. So he says, Okay, now it's, it's the Sabbath. You're not going to find any out in the field, right? So just do what you've done. And if you follow the instructions, you already have your food for the day. So there shouldn't be any issue whatsoever. Now, 26. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. Okay? There is no manna on this day. It's been sanctified for the Lord. But guess what? There are always some folks that just don't listen. So on the seventh day, guess what happens? 
Verse 27, And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day to for to gather, and they found none. Imagine that. Wow. <laughs> Imagine that. There will always be those that are going to go where God told them not to go to seek fulfillment. And guess what they'll find? None. It's just the nature of humanity. Let's not be those people. Verse 28, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? Obviously, God knows the answer to this question. This question is not for him to get an answer. It's for them to learn from the question. That's why God asks questions of humanity, not to go, well, I just didn't know. Would you tell me the answer? He knows what he wants to do is get us to think and realize what's going on. He's trying to relay the importance of obedience to the Israelites and to Moses. Verse 29 it says, See for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his house, in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. Here the Lord reiterates his instructions to make sure that it's clear. Do we all? He's like, look, have you got it? Have you got it? Verse 30. So the people rested on the seventh day. Yay! Obedience! Look at that! How cool is that? But guess what? This is the very first occurrence of the Sabbath ever being kept in the Bible. This is it. It's really cool. Now, why is the Sabbath significant? Why or what is or where does the Sabbath come from? Okay, we're going to look at that today. A little bit of history lesson. Genesis chapter number 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, remember the word day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work in which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So we know that God spent six days doing creation, and on the seventh day he rested, okay? So after six days of creating the heavens and the earth, God rested on the seventh day, establishing it as a day of rest and peace, okay? We looked and we saw that back in 2 Peter 3. We saw 3, uh, 7, and then 10 and 12. We saw that word day, talking about the return of the Lord, okay? That word day is very important. So let's look and see if we can figure out the significance of the word day. In that 2 Peter, right in that same section, talking about the coming of Christ, there's a verse in there in verse number 8. And that verse says this, But beloved talking to, to us believers, be not ignorant of this one thing. He says, if you don't get anything else out of the Bible, this is one that needs to stick out to you. If you get nothing else, remember this, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Why is that significant? Okay. Now we think and we go, hmm, so, God's saying the most important thing that I need to pay attention to, and this is a rule I need to hold on to, is that a day equals a thousand years to God. And why is that significant? So, then we think back, where is the very first time that days are mentioned in the Bible? Genesis, right? Days. So, we look at the Old Testament, and as we look at the Old Testament, B.C., before Christ, there's about 4,000 years of recorded history in the Bible. About 4,000 years. And this year is 2019. Well, 4,000 plus 2,000 is 6,000, right? So we have 6,000 years. Now, if we take that, that design of a day is 1,000 years and 1,000 years is a day, do we see how six days could actually be 6,000 years? God's giving a record of human history through those six days of creation, showing where it is we're going, and it's always pointing to a seventh day, right? A day of rest. Interesting, interesting. 
So then we look at the biblical timeline pointing to that 7,000th year. Revelations 20 describes the millennial reign of Christ, which is going to be a time of peace and rest upon the earth. And guess how long it lasts? For a thousand years. So that six days of creation is pointing to a 7,000th a day of rest, right? So when we're reading through the Bible, the word day is pointing when we see in that day, in that day, in that day. When you see that listed, the day of the Lord, that is the return of Jesus Christ when he comes back to earth and receives the glory that he deserves. Because guess what? Up until now, he has not received the glory he's deserved. He gets ridiculed. And look what happened to him when he was on the planet. He was dis dis dishonored and horribly treated. So there will come a day when he will receive that honor. And the whole Bible is pointing to that day. Pointing to that day. The word day is significant, and that's why, because that whole formula that it says, be ignorant of not of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Be ignorant of that, just that one thing, because there's something really important hidden in the Bible that no one's seen before, and if we use that formula, you can see it. Amazing. So as God rested on the seventh day and instructed his people to rest on the seventh day, he was, in effect, pointing to the millennial reign that was to come. The Sabbath, as it is honored, is pointing to the day of our Savior's return and the time when he will receive that glory. So when we keep the Sabbath, guess what we're doing? We're, we honor God. We're honoring him, understanding that we're pointing to that day. And we honor him today because on that day he will receive honor. And yet through all of our issues and inconsistencies, in disobedience, God still lovingly works with us through this process of development. Verse 31, and the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. Okay? So when that manna arrived, they didn't know what it was. It was a mystery to them. And it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Okay? So we know that Jesus is a picture of the manna because he told us that in the book of John. He said, you know what? I am that bread that came down from heaven. It is me, right? So we know that. But what I want to do now is we have a little bit. We have now all the descriptions of the manna have been given to us. And there are eight different things that go directly between Jesus and the manna. And we're going to look at that list now. First, first number one. It says that it was a mystery. Okay? It was a mystery. They, called, they said, what is it? The word manna means what is it? It's a mystery. But what's really cool, think about this. The mystery in, in, in 1 Timothy 3.16 talks about the mystery of godliness. And what it's talking is about how can this man be God and God be man? That is a mystery that no one can understand. The mystery of godliness. Jesus was a mystery and so was the manna. Secondly, it was small, it says. It was small. We're talking about the God of the universe, the God of creation. Jesus is the one that spoke this place into existence. The God of God, I mean, huge, tremendous. Yet he made himself of no, no, of no respect to humble himself to become a man, right? We look at that in Philippians 2, 6, and 7. It says that he humbled himself to become a human being, to become a child. And there's nothing more small than an insignificant little boy born in a little nowhere town by a girl, from a girl with no reputation. Made himself small. Third, 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 or third, whichever. It was round, okay? A circle is a symbol of eternity. We talk about it when we do a wedding. We talk about the symbol, what those rings represent in eternity. And it has no beginning and it has no end. John 8, 58, Jesus said, As before Abraham was, I am. 
right? He is forever. He is eternal. Fourth, it was a gift. John 3.16, John 6.23, they both tell us that it was a, a gift, a gift, a gift given to them in their time of need. Jesus was a gift given to us in our time of need. Amen. Fourth, I cannot say words. Fifth, fourth. <laughs> just work with me. You guys just throw in the numbers when I get to those. We'll be fine. <laughs> it was white, okay? Jesus is righteous. Jesus is righteous. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he was without sin, knew no sin. Sixth, it was sweet, right? Jesus, as the word of God, is sweet. What does Psalm 109, 119, 103 says? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Sweet, like coriander seed. Seven, it was on the ground. So in order to receive it, guess what you had to do? Yep. Got to humble yourself before the Lord. Come down to the ground. Humble ourselves before God. And eighth, it had to be received early before the sun would burn it up. The Lord will return as the sun, the S-U-N of righteousness. In Malachi 1, or Malachi 4, verses 1 through 2, you'll see that it says the sun, capital S-U-N of righteousness, and will burn up all of his enemies. Guess what in Psalm 73, 3? And in Isaiah 55, 6, it says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Amen. There's a sense of urgency there. We've got to respond, right? We've got to respond. So as we look at the biblical timeline and consider the clues that the Lord has left behind, I think we can see the sense of urgency that God's trying to impart to us. And if you are not a child of God today, I pray that before you leave here that you make that decision that you call out to the Lord and you receive him as your Savior because you are not promised tomorrow. You're not promised the rest of today. There are people that died on the road yesterday that thought they had all the time in the world. People drop off about every, four, every couple seconds. A few people die, man. They're going off the earth all the time. And a majority of them are slipping off into hell, separated from God because of disobedience. And if we have an opportunity to reach them, guess what? We need to take advantage of it. Look at the people around you and care for them. Have compassion upon them. Have an attitude like Paul who said, look, I'll do whatever I need to do to reach them. And many of us just don't want to be bothered or maybe made uncomfortable. God needs us to go a step further. Verse 32, And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded, fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations, that ye may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. Okay? They were to gather a single portion, and they were supposed to set it aside, sanctify it for God as a testimony of how God had made provision. Verse 33, And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer full of manna, of manna therein and lay it up before the Lord to keep it for your generations. Notice this, right? Aaron is the starting point of the Levitic line of priests. This is the very first time Aaron's going to do one of his priestly duties. God's going to, right here, Jesus, Moses says to him, Hey, Mo, Aaron, you do this. We don't understand that at this point in time, but that's the very beginning of Aaron fulfilling what he is supposed to do as he takes this special portion of manna of Christ and sanctifies it for the Lord. Verse 34, as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And we know that one day it will be placed. Check this out. It's one day that very manna is going to be placed inside of the Ark of the Covenant. 
And it's going to be inside of the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. In the Hebrews 9, 4, it says this, Which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with the, golden, with the gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant. Learning to honor and sanctify God is a learning process, but the good news is that God walks with us and guides us through it, okay? Consider the examples that we see with the Israelites, okay? We've watched them through the book of Exodus, and we've watched God make provision for them and helping them to do what he's going to ask of them to do, okay? We look at the fact that God protected the livestock, right? Whenever the plagues came through and the livestock were killed, guess what? The Israelites' livestock was not killed because God knew that he was going to ask of them on the day of the Passover that they were going to have to have a lamb, right? And they would need to follow and do exactly what he told them. But if the lambs were gone, they couldn't do it. So God made provision for them and had it all set. And all he asked of them is, you know what? I got everything in place for you. All you need to do is be obedient. Can you do that? Can you just do what I tell you to do? Right? We saw when, he, when they left, right? They get handfuls of gold and fine linen. They don't know why they're going. Why are we going out here with all this stuff? I don't understand what the purpose is. Because one day in the midst of the wilderness, guess what? God's going to say, you're going to build a tabernacle for me. And you're going to make golden censers, and you're going to do all this stuff, and you're going to need all these fine items. They're going to go, oh, this is why we have it. Cool. Great. That worked out pretty well. God had a plan, and he's helping them to be faithful. Right? He rushed them out of Egypt. He got them out of there so quick that they didn't have a chance to leaven their bread because he was going to ask of them that they would eat unleavened bread. So instead of commanding them and them choosing not to leaven the bread, he made it so that they couldn't even do it. He said, I'll make provision for you and help you to become obedient. These are a stiff-necked people, right? We're a stiff-necked people. They come out of a pagan world. Guess what? We live in a pagan world. We live in a world that's full of all kinds of things trying to draw us away from God. And he's trying to get these things out of them. And the coolest thing is he's lovingly working with them in order to do it, right? He drove them into Pihahirath. Pihahirath is a place that was a trap, basically. The whole Egyptian army's coming up behind them. They've got cliffs on either side. They're standing with the Red Sea right in front of them. Why did God do that? The Bible says that he turned them there. He purposely put them there so that he could show them that he can deliver them from anything. It does not matter what your circumstance. He's teaching them, and he's making provision to the whole thing. He encamped them in Elam with bitter water that they could not drink. And they complained. They're like, well, you know what about this? And we well, brought us out of here to die. And he says, no, that I can show you that through a tree I'll take bitter water. Make it sweet. And give you an opportunity for him to instruct them on what it meant to be obedient, which we read earlier. He's taking them into the wilderness, the wilderness of sin. <laughs> That's something. The wilderness of sin. And in the wilderness of sin, they find no food so that he can be their sustenance. And he can make provision. And they can learn to depend upon him. Right? He's helping them to become obedient. And here... The Lord gives them a double portion. I'm going to have you keep the Sabbath, and I'm going to go ahead and give you a double portion on the sixth day so that on the seventh day it won't be any issue for you at all. No one's going to go to go suffer. Nobody's got to go to go through anything. You'll have everything that you need already there. And the children of Israel did eat, did eat manna 40 years until they came to a land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came into the borders of the land of Canaan. Okay? So in... <laughs> Even though, right, God's going to support them through all of this. Now, this is an important, important thing to look at, the fact that it says here that they ate, him, they ate it for 40 years, okay? That was not God's plan. God's intention was not that they would eat manna for 40 years. That was not what he was doing. He actually made it as a short-term provision to get them where they needed to be, 
Okay? He kept telling them, don't get focused on the wilderness. Keep your eyes on the promised land. The same promise that I made to Abraham way back then, that same promise, that's where you're heading. So keep your eyes there. And what God's constantly telling us, set your affections on things above, right? But we focus here, right? He's telling them to focus on the future. And what's really amazing, if we look at the actual distance and how far it was that they were to go and how long it should have taken them, in Deuteronomy verse chapters, chapter 1, verse 2, it tells us, There are 11 days' journey from Horeb, by the way of Mount Seir, unto Kadesh Barnea. Guess what? What took 40 years was an 11-day journey. 300 miles. 300 miles, that's all it was. And yet 40 years they spent. This was the route they were supposed to take, but guess what? Because of disobedience and a desire to fulfill self, right? They've got to spend all that time. There's so many, many lessons can be learned. But guess what? And a portion of them, a portion of them. We know from the book of Numbers that 603,550 men of the age of 20 are going to head into the wilderness, okay? When it comes down to it, at the very end, the ones that walk in out of that 603,550, two will make it in. 603,548 men will die in the wilderness because of disobedience. And that younger generation will walk in. Verse 36. Now an omer is the tenth part of an ephah. God wants that tenth set aside as an example of how he makes provision. Guys, tithing is a picture of that. It's a matter of God saying, look, you know what? I give you 100% and I ask you to give me back 10% in honor of what I have done for you. Right? The whole goal of this thing, every request God makes of us, he makes provision for us. If he asks us to tithe, guess what? He provides us the finances that we have to live. And then he goes, now give back to me. It's the very same thing. God makes provision after provision after provision. He's not trying to give us, put us into, uh, control us or put borders around us or boundaries to, to hurt us. He's trying to allow us to realize that with boundaries, we were, can be, if we follow the boundaries, that we can actually become created into the people we were created to be. Right? You and I were made to be the children of God that would bring honor and glory to God. And if you don't have boundaries in your life and you fulfill just yourself and you don't worry about doing what God's allowing, what God's trying to guide you to do, we'll destroy ourselves. We've all witnessed people who go, you know what, I'm doing things my way. And we look at the results. It's always destruction. And God's saying, look, if you'll follow my guidelines, I don't want to control you. I don't want to, to, to keep you away from good. I want to actually push you towards the right things. I want to push you towards what will build you as a person. The key to listening and allowing someone to impact our lives and to guide us and to lead us is that we have to trust them and we have to respect them. How many of us have ever been in a public place and we've seen some interactions between some kids and some parents and you're just like, I want to jump in so bad. You want to just tag me, baby. Just tag me in. I want to come. <laughs> I want to get in there with you, baby. I want to, oh. We're like, man. You're like, dude, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And you and I can tell by that interaction, that child does not respect that parent. Right? And that's the problem. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do I trust and do I respect God? And if I do, then when God asks of me certain things, I shouldn't fight him. I shouldn't be looking for ways out or looking for excuses or justifications of why I don't do what I've been called to do. 
It's amazing. But we, by, human, by, by being human, that's what we do. We look for the easy way out. And you know what? If you take the easy way out, it never, ever works out like it could. If you go to the gym and you look for the easy way out, and you're supposed to lift 50 pounds and you lift 10, boy, you can be in there just as faithful as anybody else, buddy. Show up at 6 a.m., be there for three hours. But this is one that usually, this is, those guys I see at the gym, they normally have really good, strong jaws because they do a lot of talking, right? And the problem is that we go in there with this mindset of going, I'm going to try to do the easy way, but you never get results from easy. And so God realizes that, and guess what he does? He brings tribulation into your life and puts you in challenging situations to force you to depend upon him. The very same thing we see him do with the Israelites, the very same thing he's doing with us, and instead of complaining and murmuring as he says, don't murmur, don't murmur, don't murmur, don't murmur, instead of calling your sister, you just won't go into one on my life. We all do it. We like to complain. God says, what if you suck it up and learn to depend upon me? Why don't you let me carry you through this? And through that, the backside of this thing, you'll have greater faith than you've ever had before. And then instead of being a one that's going to murmur and complain to your sister, what if you live as a shining example to her? And she looks at your life and goes, how did you go through that? And you go, you know what? I just trusted the Lord. Right. You didn't call me and complain. Yeah, I know. Because I knew God had it. It's all good. Praise the Lord. Do it God's way. You know? For you see, if we respect God and we understand him and his heart, if you want to know the heart of God, you can know it. You can know it. And if we respect him and we trust him, it won't be any problem at all in honoring the Lord. Right. Let's pray. Good. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for blessing us with this opportunity, Father, to hear from you. Thank you for the beautiful picture in the manna. Thank you, Lord, for the adventures of the Exodus. And, Lord, what we see the Israelites go through, God, it's a picture for us. As the Bible says, it's an example for us to follow and to learn, Lord, from the things they do right, but many times the things that they do wrong. And uh, Lord, I'm as guilty as anyone making mistakes and dropping the ball. God, I know that I'm so thankful for the fact that you are long-suffering and God, that you're forgiving. And that Lord, through our mistakes, God, even through our mistakes, you will help us to do right. Lord, help us to be an obedient people. Help us, Lord, not to be stiff-necked. Help us, Lord, not to be filled with self. Help us to realize that this life is not about us. It's about you. And, Lord, it's not about bringing glory to ourselves or glory to other people. It's about bringing glory to the name of our Father. God, you have provided us everything that we have. Help us to give back to you with the right heart and the right attitude. God, that we might be the sons of God created for that purpose. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to be in your word. With our heads still bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today, if you're here in the service, if you're online, if you're in the overflow room, wherever you are, if God spoke to you today and you say, you know what? Bottom line is, I know I need to make things right. I got some stuff in my life that I need to get rid of. My obedience is not where it could be. I know I need to work on me. I got a lot more self than I need to have, and I need a lot more Jesus. If that's where you are, praise God, because you know what? Today can be a day of change. The good news is we can't change. The bad news is we can't change tomorrow, but the good news is we can change today. We can live this life for him from every day forward. But if you're here today and you say, you know what? I don't even know if I'm a child of God. A child of God is someone who has made a personal, individual choice to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's not something that happens to you in a service. It's not through something that happens to you in your life. Lightning strikes beside you on the ground and you didn't die. That does not mean God saved you. That means he spared your life for a day when you can call out to him. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
That means we call out in prayer to the Lord with our hearts, not with just words, with our hearts, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made in salvation. If you're here today and you've never done that, you have an opportunity today to become a child of God, one of the sons of God, to bring glory to his name. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. The prayer is not magic. It's not the words of the prayer. The words are for us to hear, for you to hear in your head. But guess what? God knows your heart, and that's what he's listening to. If you pray today and you're sincere and you truly want to receive Christ as your Savior, he will save you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, in your heart and your mind, pray this prayer. And if you truly call out to God, he will save you this day. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for all the things that I've done wrong. I'm sorry for hurting you, for hurting others, and hurting myself. I come today with a heart to know you. I want you to be my savior. I'm asking you right now to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, and give me a home in heaven. I trust that you have the power to do it. And I'm thankful for your love. I'm thankful to now be your child. Thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head still bad, eyes still closed.